Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an urban educator for more than 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago, an educational consultant, an equity advocate, and the co-host of Inside the Principal's Office. Let's get started. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. This episode is a pause to ponder segment. These bi-weekly sessions will allow me to share with you my personal thoughts and reflections on a wide spectrum of topics as they relate to education. It is my hope that you will be able to take something from these segments and apply it in a meaningful way as you continue to do amazing work. Remember, while we all have different roles, we all have a single job, educating our students. I would like to think that these pause to ponder reflection sessions have become more and more transparent uh, and more vulnerable as I continue to stray away from a script and outline notes and instead speak freely from my heart and from my mind about the things that are impacting education and my thoughts and feelings on those on those issues or topics. And I, I don't think that today's conversation is going to be much different. You see that today I was in a training and uh, during that training, uh, an article was shared with us and it really hit home. And I wanted to share this with you because I think that oftentimes in education, when we talk about all students, we really want to believe that. We really believe that all students are capable. We really believe that we want all students to succeed. And yet, oftentimes, for a variety of reasons, all doesn't always mean all. There are students who are forgotten, students who are left behind, students who fall through the cracks. And that is a group that I want to talk about today. You see that the, the training that I was in talked about leading schools that have cluster programs. And if you're not familiar with the term, cluster programs are typically uh, programs in which students who have IEPs are separated 
and they spend a majority, if not all, of their educational day in a separate setting uh, and where they receive all of their instruction. And it was during this training that a book was brought to our attention uh, with an article, if you will, more like a synopsis. Um, And I wanted to share with you information from that because, as I've shared before, uh, my family, we are going through our own uh, journey uh, regarding my grandson. And while reading this article, there were points, elements that, to be honest, really triggered me. And, 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 and it was a struggle for me not to tear up during this meeting, simply because I think about how often we say things, especially in the field of education, but we don't always take these things truly to heart until it hits home. And I'm no exception. I believe in equitable practices, but I'll be honest, oftentimes there are things that don't necessarily cross my mind or hadn't crossed my mind, especially in the realm of our diverse learners. But now that I'm dealing with this, it hits home and I am much more conscious of these elements. And so The book is written by Ellen Notbum, um, a guest that I hope to have on this show. So Ellen, if you are listening, please know that um, an individual that I just connected with on Twitter, so you can definitely find her there, uh, who is an author. And one of the books that she wrote says is entitled 10 Things Every Child with Autism Wishes You Knew. Uh, So I'm going to just read those 10 And then I'm going to share with you what I had pulled out that I shared with my colleagues during my meeting today, because I also want that to be shared with you. Number one, I am first and foremost a child. I have autism. I am not primarily autistic. Number two. My sensory perceptions are disordered. Number three, please remember to distinguish between won't, I choose not to, and can't, I am not able to. Number four, I am a concrete thinker. This means... I interpret language very literally. Number five, please be patient with my limited vocabulary. Number six, I am very visually oriented. Number seven, Please focus and build on what I can do rather than what I can't do. Number eight, please help me with social 
interactions. Number nine, try to identify what triggers my meltdowns. And number 10, if you are a family member, and I'm going to add even if you're not, please love me unconditionally. So during today's training, we were asked to read through this document and we were asked to pull out some highlights and or create some taglines. And so what I want to share with you is what I pulled out. And the, uh, the first thing that I pulled out was the concept associated with number eight that said, please help me with social interactions. You see, I think Oftentimes, students, especially those in our cluster programs, are isolated from the general population. I mean, think about this for a second. First, where in your building are your cluster programs located? More often than not, they are far away from a majority of the school. They are in a separate wing sometimes in a separate building altogether, on the outskirts. How often do these students interact, meaningfully interact, with their peers in general education classrooms? Recently, I posted that I had the opportunity that I got to, not that I had to, but that I got to join my students during their Special Olympics competition for basketball. And I could not help but notice the peers and the interactions, the friendships that they had with students from a variety of schools across the district, students who they only see once per week, at least during school hours. And I thought to myself, here are students perfectly capable of developing relationships and friendships, and yet we don't facilitate that opportunity so often within our schools. And I think more often, we, we more so, we, we assume that our students are okay, that it doesn't bother them. But I couldn't help but reconsider that today during our meeting as I read this number eight and thought about the students and the bonds and the friendships that they have facilitated probably and more often than not on their own. And yet we deny them structurally, systematically, we often deny them those opportunities with our own buildings. A little closer to home recently, we had asked my grandson about his friends at school. And he mentioned that he didn't have any friends. I, I can't tell you how much it hurt to hear him say that. In a very matter of fact, a very accepting, I don't have friends. And I remember the context that 
he was mentioning that the the aide on the playground kind of asked him why he was by himself. And when this was mentioned, and you see it, why are we not taking a more proactive approach? It's not that these students and these programs don't want to have friendships, but oftentimes they don't know how to. They lack the social skills. So instead of forcing them to conform, why do we not share with our general education students how they can best connect and relate to these students? Because sometimes they just need a helping hand. The second piece that I pulled out, and I believe this was connected to number nine, the meltdowns, but also also connected with number, I believe it was number two, sensory. You see, my, my grandson has sensory sensitivities and often is very overstimulated, very easily overstimulated. And what we believe to be tantrums, because that is the phrase that his teachers like to use, or defiant behavior, are actually a manifestation of a sensory overload. There is a video, and I would encourage you on YouTube to look this up, about what it's like for a child with sensory perception issues. And maybe you and I don't think about the onslaught that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, that we have been trained, we've been conditioned to process, that we've been trained and conditioned to ignore, that so often that they can't, the sights, the smells, the sounds, the feels, that they have absolutely no control over. And one one of these senses are overloaded. It causes an entire breakdown within their physical system as they attempt to restabilize themselves. And so we look at this behavior oftentimes as a child acting out, as being defiant, as again throwing a tantrum. But are we stopping to understand what is it that is causing this overload? What, is, what are they trying to communicate to us? Because again, yes, they have a limited vocabulary. So often is a limited vocabulary. But they communicate with us through a variety of other ways that if we had just taken the time, taken a moment to try to understand what is being communicated, that we could be of assistance. So as we close this episode out, I'm going to leave you with two taglines that I pulled out of this article, this reading. Two taglines that I would hope that you carry with you as you engage and interact with students with autism who are in your cluster program, students who are neurodivergent. And the first one, 
I don't need to be fixed. I need to be supported. So often we communicate a message that these students, that there is something wrong with them, that they are broken, and that we need to figure out how do we fix them so that they can fit in to the larger population, so that they can function in accordance with societal norms. Maybe it is us who needs to readjust our perceptions and definitions so that these individuals can be supported in their uniqueness. There's nothing wrong with whom they are. They're simply different. And that is okay. Because to be honest, we are all different. We all have specialized needs. Some more than others. They're not broken. They don't need to be fixed. They need to be supported. And the last I'm sorry. I I, I as I think about this, it's just it's just a lot, so excuse me. The last one goes into the idea that I don't have a disability. I have a different ability. I think oftentimes we hear the word disability and it plays into a deficit mindset. We focus so much on what these students are incapable of doing as opposed to what do they bring to the table? What are their capabilities? What are their strengths? Because as we know, so often they have strengths that even our students in what we consider general education classes do not possess. So how can we capitalize? How can we praise? How can we work in that area and focus on different abilities rather than disabilities? Again, it is my hope that as you engage with students who are not in your general education classes, that maybe you take these messages home, that you hold them within your heart, you hold them within your mind. Because if you can begin processing this differently, if you can begin looking at our students in a different mindset, possessing a different attitude and belief systems, and thus impacting your actions, so too will others. Until next time. I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and of course, share it with friends and family. I'd also love to hear your thoughts about the show, so please leave a comment or two as well. Now, I'm not sure what platform you're using, but the show can be found on Anchor, 
Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and plenty of other platforms. If the show isn't on your preferred site, let me know, and I'll be sure to get it up and running. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with me and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at the CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care.